I'm Jason McLeod, a Michelin starred chef and partner with CH Projects here in San Diego, where we currently operate 16 restaurants and bars. Why am I a chef doing a podcast, you ask? I'm here to showcase everything a chef does because it's no longer about cooking meat, fish, and veggies. Through my interviews and conversations, you'll get to see that chefs bartend, run social media channels, wash dishes, and occasionally we get to cook. I want to thank the Strikers SD for the intro music, rocking San Diego since 2005. But enough talk and let's get started. Today I'm excited to welcome good friends of mine, the rock stars of the ocean. Captain Pete Halme, local sea urchin diver. Captain Kelly Fukushima of the fishing vessel Three Boys Fisheries. Fishing extraordinaire Jordan Kasslunger from the fishing vessel Renee Marie. Today we'll be discussing a little bit about the future of our industry, the cost and infrastructure of seafood, talk a little bit about their favorite industry stories. They will also answer my 11 really stupid questions. Welcome Pete, Jordan, and Kelly, three local fishermen here in San Diego. Pretty excited to have you guys. Thanks for being here. Hey Jason, we're Thank so you. stoked to be here too. Nice, thanks for being here. So, did you say local or local? Local, a bit of both, local and local. Yes. Local, I, 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 resemble, I resemble that. <laughs> not much distinction between the two. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because I was kind of going back over my notes about obviously you three and what you guys have meant to my life and one of my restaurants here in San Diego at Ironside Fish and Oyster and I can't believe it's been five years now Tuna Harbor just celebrated. It's pretty incredible down there at Tuna Harbor. So what is Tuna Harbor for you guys? Tuna Harbor is the face of San Diego fishing. All the fishing boats go out and you don't see them. Then they come in, you see them for a little while offloading some fish, but they get to see somebody every Saturday. And hundreds of people come down and you can get to talk to the fishermen. They understand that fishing exists in San Diego. So we've been able to sell that idea. So when's Tuna Harbor? When does it happen? How does it happen, Pete? If you don't know by now, you, you, you <laughs> ought to be ashamed of yourself after five years. You still don't know. So I keep going to the wrong spot every Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Every Saturday down at Tuna Every Harbor. Saturday Monday, down at Tuna Harbor. Eight the, to one. Eight to one. But get there early. People line up around 7, 7.30. Because the fish, the, the best fish are gone by 10 o'clock. And after that, uh, it goes on. But if you want the best choice, get there at 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's a true testament to uh, see how, just how much San Diego really loves their seafood. It's a seafood town. And you can tell just by the outpour from all the, you know, all the people around the neighborhood and uh, from all over San Diego that come down there and get to interact with their fishing, the fishermen and uh, see the local catch and really get a feel for what happens in the fishing industry. I think it's a beautiful thing. We get to see it every weekend. Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome for me is to kind of, you know, to kind of go down there on a Saturday morning and you get there early, you know, before that 8 a.m. and you see the lineup and people getting ready to get their fish and you see the fishermen and you see the families down there. It, it's it's. There's a story that goes along with it. And I think the thing, neat thing about San Diego, San Diego has this rich history of fishing that I think kind of got lost, you know, for it, a little it while. It really got lost. And this is really, Tuna Harbor to me is, is really part of that, getting that story back to fishing in San Diego. And for me, understanding that what Tuna Harbor means to me at Ironside, you know, it, it really is the heart and soul um, of our restaurant. You know, people ask me all the time, why do you think Ironside's successful? And I said, it's the fishermen have really helped that happen. You know, and here we sit with really three generations of fishermen. Pete, you kind of leading the way. I'm two generations, two just generations by myself. Yourself, yeah. You know, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, 20 years gone. And Jordan really kind of 
born on a boat in so many ways, and now you're starting to kind of do your thing. And for you, you know, your father's a fisherman, you know, and you've kind of kind of started going into that direction as well, right? Yes, and my grandfather was a fisherman. So my dad started with him, and I started with my dad. Yeah, her grandfather was a hell of a fisherman, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Big John. And I think this is the kind of exciting thing for me is that, you know, the family aspect of what the fishermen mean. And, and in the restaurants, there's a lot of that as well. You know, we, we, we really depend on a lot of other restauranteurs, other chefs, and so on. So for, for you guys, you know, what is it, what makes Tuna Harbor special for you guys in terms of coming together every Saturday? What makes it really special is the hardest part as always. How do you get 15 fishermen to show up at the same time, agree to sell certain types of fish, and agree upon all that? And somehow, uh, because I'm too goddamn easygoing, it, it has worked. Everybody, you gotta be stricter, you gotta be stricter. That guy over there, I said, no, I wanna be strict with you, not him. <laughs> but but to, you let them do their own thing and try to bring them along slowly if they don't adhere to this rule or that rule, because it's up to them. If it weren't for those 15 fishermen, that place would not exist. Other people have started these markets up and down the coast. None of them exist. One or two vendors show up and they argue and then one guy shows up. Here we have a base of about 15 guys that show up and, and they check every uh, Thursday to see what they should bring. It's, it's a matter of building that social capital. That, so that's a microcosm of how management should be done. Port management should be a bunch of fishermen working together. And, and this think, is an idea. Of it. And I think that's pretty unique what you said there because, yeah, you're right. I mean, everyone's out there catching, most, for the most part, the same fish. You know, right. But if everyone brought the same fish and there was 15 booths of tuna, what's the point of that, right? You know, so that's really, it's pretty special that they do that. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a real successful experiment because fishermen by nature are extremely independent. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody, that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of guys get into fishing is because uh, you don't have a boss. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder telling you what to do. You get to go out on your own free will and make your own decisions. And if you succeed, you succeed. And if you fail, you fail. Um, but I think when the opportunity, you know, to work together for a common goal, because the fishermen are really, really centrally located and they all work for the same idea. So it's easy to have everybody come together and work together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Jordan, what, what kind of talk, walk me through your role a little bit with Tuna Harbor because you kind of got an interesting role. Yeah, so I've been there from, for five years since it started. Uh, I was, came in the second week and I started selling crab and urchin for... The first Mr. pictures Hallen are, are, uh, are yeah. the urchins. Yeah, and then I kind of moved out of that when Kelly and Jolene, his wife, opened up Loaf and Fish, fish sandwiches. So they I stole her away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't pay her anything, though. <laughs> talent, talent scouts, right? Yeah. yeah. So I've been working for Kelly for about three years, uh, but known in my entire life. And then I also manage our social media, so our Facebook, our Instagram. Uh, I've been doing that for about three years as well. And have seen it drastically increase in followers and likes and people that are interested in the seafood and want to know where it comes from and meet the people that it comes from. And, and I think that's pretty unique because you think about some of these, you know, I don't want to call them crusty old fishermen, but you know what they're like. They're kind of like the old <laughs> school chefs, right? <laughs> For them to say, hey, look, you got to go on Instagram, they're probably thinking, what? You know, but in reality is there's a really special story that can be told. And I think you've taken that role on quite a bit, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of unique, especially when I go out with my dad, I can post pictures on the water versus like at the market or when we go home and we make food or Kelly and Jolene make food and they send me photos and the recipes. And that's what people want because they don't know how to do that themselves. Yeah, and they're curious. They want to know exactly. the story. And I think there's a, that's pretty unique. And I think for me, you know, loaf and fish, let's talk a little bit about loaf and fish. You mentioned loaf and fish. Everyone, there's a beautiful little sandwich shop down at the market every Saturday that's run by 
My beautiful wife. By Kelly's beautiful <laughs> wife, actual sweetheart, um, called Loaf and Fish, where they make the best sandwiches. Tacos, In San salads. Diego, tacos, taco salad, soup every once in a while, kind of depending on the That's almost soup season, too. I know. I'm really <laughs> excited. The best time to go down and get something down there. So you work there a little bit on Saturdays as I'm well. I'm there right? every Saturday. Yes. You know, so it really is a family affair down there. And, and I think that... You know, when people, when for me, when I see that, it, it, I get excited. You know, it, it brings me to, like, this is something I want to be a part of. That's and I think story. people that go down there and see that, that's always the feedback I get. Someone that's down there for the first time, really like, oh wow, I get this now. This is pretty special. Yeah, it's such a rich experience to go down there because people, you know, if you go to the grocery store or you go to big box store, or you go anywhere for regular fish market, you just see the fish displayed in the case, but you have no idea you know, how hard people worked or how it was caught or what the boats look like or who the guys are actually doing it. And, you know, when you get down to the Tuna Harbor Dockside Market on Saturday morning, it's a real, you know, it's a real gritty, earthy feeling because you can go down there and interact with the fishermen. You can see the birds and you can smell the fish and you can see the seawater in the boats and you can see everybody, multi-generational families working together. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it really enriches the experience of your seafood dinner when they, you know, purchase fish, take it home, feed their family and friends. Hey, dude, this is, you know, what's so special about this fish today is we went down, met the dude who caught it. He told us a story, yanked it out of the water this morning, brought it back, um, talked to his wife or his son or, and said, hey, you know, this is how we cook it at our house. You know, give this recipe a try. It's a beautiful thing to see uh, the whole circle. It, it really is. And I think, and that's where, you know, when we go to a, a, a sh shopping market or wherever we go and we see this fish and it's sitting there, this pretty little six ounce filet and, most people think that's what fish looks like, you know, they don't know, right? right. And, but right. Market, you get, you get to take a whole mohole too. Well, yeah, when you go down and the And people don't want to know. It. People today don't want to know. There's this terrible habit of, of city folks that don't like to kill the fish, but want to eat the filet. Yeah. And you say, hey, you can't have both. It's one of the, but the funniest story is that uh, I was coming to the market uh, last Saturday at seven o'clock and this old guy was there. And I hadn't seen him for two was weeks. Was he old to you or was he just old? He, he was old. Okay, he perfect. was really old. He was 45, 50. <laughs> and, and I hadn't seen him in two weeks. I said, hey, what's the matter? What happened? He says, oh, I was sick. I knew him as a, as a constant customer. Every Saturday he'd be there. He'd buy certain fish just to take home and cook. And he said, I've been sick. I had some kind of a problem. And I said, I'm not interested in your goddamn problem. Just <laughs> you got nice, enough to, of your nice own? to see you back. But it was, so we know our customers. And they're repeat customers that come every time. Uh, the Kelly's Place, the fishermen all stop by now. Every Saturday when the, when the boat's in the harbor, they come by and get a sandwich. Yeah, and, it's, and, and, it's a, and they expect to get it for free. And, and, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I think they get to, at the, at the Loaf and Fish, you guys do some of the other types of fish that are maybe aren't a little bit popular, like the Thresher Shark. Oh, yeah. Kind of getting known. And when people have that fish, they're like, wow, that is amazing. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about the market, uh, too, is that you're going to find seafood there that you will not find anywhere else. And, uh, you know, like if you look at salmon and tuna and a few other species, that's what the majority of Americans eat, shrimp. Uh, when you go down the dockside market, I mean, we have over probably 60 or 70 different types of seafood that are sold there each year. And it really expands the palate of, you know, not only the people that live in our community, but also for chefs and restaurateurs because I know that, uh, like, a lot of guys like you have been advocates of, you know, putting things on the menu that weren't traditionally thought of as, like, you know, high-end seafood, but, you know, when you're not afraid to experiment and you know the quality, uh, you turn something like a simple rock crab or mackerel or sardines into this fabulous, really high-end seafood. Yeah, and it really and, uh, does blow the gas away. Oh, really does. Absolutely. I'm here talking with Pete Helme, Kelly Fukushima, and Jordan Kasslinger 
uh, from Tuna Harbor and our local fishing fleet. Thank you guys again for being here. I want to get into a little bit. So where do you see Tuna Harbor going? It's five years old now. I know there's lots of talk about development down there and all these kind of things. I don't want to get too much into that because that could probably go on forever. But <laughs> if, if you guys had a perfect scenario for Tuna Harbor, what would that be? Tuna Harbor has a, has a ceiling. Mm -hmm. You can only sell a certain amount of fish there. Because if you bring in 2,000 pounds, you might sell 200 there. But you still got to market the rest of it. So it has, it'll take up this niche of... 10 to 15% of everything we bring in. And then we're gonna to have to develop the ideas. But the, the groundwork of the guys fishing together are what we should apply to the whole catch. So if we bring in 3 million pounds, we might sell, I think we sell about 150, 200,000 pounds at the market. We might sell 300,000, but we're still gonna to have to sell that other 90%. Mm -hmm. And I think this will be the leader that'll persuade people or the restaurants and everybody else to deal with fishermen to buy this. And as the development comes, I see Tuna Harbor being exactly the same, except set up with a little modern conveniences like water, electricity, <laughs> sewage, you know, they, I heard they invented that yeah. stuff already. It's, it's, coming to, that, it's coming to popularity. Yeah, because if we had those, it would take, it makes things so simple. Don't forget, we, uh, Kelly built this, this, uh, this rig, <laughs> that's the best term I can give, and, and we push it out there. Three guys push it out there, it's where we cut the fish, yeah. then we push the wastewater out, and the fresh water out, and the heater, and so on. And we push it out and pull it back. Well, if you had it all set up, then you wouldn't have to do that. So as, as we move forward, we can streamline all that stuff. Br bring it in, not the market itself, but the supporting stuff. A little that, more that, infrastructure right. and stuff that you use every week. Because now it's pretty organic. I mean, it's, 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 there is set up it, every day, every Saturday, broken down every Saturday. Well, two weeks down. ago, we had no electricity. We showed up and I had a phone call, quarter to eight. We got no electricity. So I said, I'll call an electrician or something to show up. We won't be there for half an hour and so on. So they rigged one of the boats with a generator and they took the electricity off the boat. So, so it's these things that fishermen are able to do that, of course, you, you, you say in, yeah. in your restaurant, yeah. you don't have electricity. Yeah. <laughs> so what do I do next? Salad for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Candles and salad. I've been, uh, oh, I just, I've been fortunate enough to travel up and down the coast with my fishing career to a bunch of different ports, and uh, gentrification is a huge thing. Um, you know, we're facing redevelopment down in the waterfront. San Diego's got a historic fishing industry. It's always been there. There's very minimal infrastructure to support the fleet. We only have a couple spots we can tie up. One's Tuna Harbor and the other's Driscoll's. Um, you know, what I talk to friends, friends and fishermen up and down the coast, they're facing the same thing where, you know, real estate in California is extremely valuable, especially on the waterfront. The demand for local seafood keeps going up, but the infrastructure to support the fishing industry, you know, keeps dwindling. And, you know, fishing is only half the work. Going on the boat is the easy part. When you get the fish ashore, you have to be able to get them to the people that need them and the businesses that depend on them. And without the shoreside infrastructure, that doesn't happen. So in the future, my idea is that we really protect San Diego's fishing harbors. We, you know, we continue to upgrade them. We continue to educate the public about how important the fishing industry is and then you know it's a historical background in it and i think that you know that way we'll have a solid fishing industry for a long time yeah it is true and i think that you know a lot of people don't realize that not only are you out in the boat trying to make money but you're also trying to preserve the future of, of your industry you know jordan for you being 
obviously, a, you know, a younger generation and kind of really just starting out in this. You, know, you keep trying to part. rub that in, aren't you? I, I know. I, I you, you made her sit next to me so I look older and fatter. <laughs> and now I said, hey, unlike the old guy over there, what are no, you? Man, she's making us look bad over there. <laughs> what, what do you see the future of fishing in, in Tuna Harbor? I think with the support of surrounding like restaurants like Ironside and all the other restaurants that continue to support the market, I only see it growing and becoming better because people are more interested now than they were five years ago in the story and the background of like where, because everyone's comfortable with, like Kelly said, like salmon and all the things that they know. And so we've kind of pushed them to try things that they aren't comfortable with. And I think it's just going to continue to expand and grow until hopefully it spreads further into San Diego than the re repeat customers that we have every weekend. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's about, a, it's some, some patience has to be had with guests because we have to educate them, we have to teach them a little bit. Um, I'm going to read a stat for you guys that it just blows my mind. So this is from 2017, but the U.S. imported more than 6 billion pounds of seafood valued at more than $21.5 billion, according to data of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which oversees American fisheries. The country exported more than 3.6 billion pounds valued at $6 billion. So we import so much fish and then we export all our good fish. Like, Again, and to me, it, that just blows my mind. Like it just, it's, it's crazy to me that we have this amazing fish in our backyard. We know that it's sustainably caught, it's responsibly caught. You guys are purveyors of the ocean. You want the ocean to be preserved. Like, why is that? Is there a reason for this? Or is it, I mean, it's probably cheap. a bigger thing, but. Cheap. It's cheap all fish. Price, right? cheap, it's all a matter well. of cheap fish. A restaurant will buy the cheap shit no matter what. Yeah. And not only that, not only that, we're, we're exporting uh, sustainability. Yeah. You see, we have to be sustainable, but the fish they're getting from over there is uh, caught by slaves. We're, we're slaves also, but we, <laughs> we, we, we like it. No, and, and I think it is something, though, that is, is very true, is that I've known you guys for a long time now, so I've heard this story. I understand what you guys go I understand the regulations, the laws, the rules, California, what, what you guys have to go through. And when I read this stat, thinking like, why, why are we holding our fishermen so to such strict standards, but we're allowing this to happen? And, and, and we are, and, and I get, we get that question all the time. Pete, I'm glad you said that is, why is seafood so expensive? And, and, and Ironside to me is not an expensive restaurant. It really is right. not. We, we keep it pretty thoughtful in pricing. And, but people say all the time, why am I paying you know, $25 for this tuna? And, but they have really no idea why can I go to X supermarket and get it for, you know, five ninety nine a pound, you know, and, right. and, and when I try to explain the story to them and help them understand that when you buy local, meaning San Diego in this case, and you're buying from a local fisherman or one of our boats, you know that this is regulated, well thought out, everything has been put in place to preserve the future of our oceans here in San Diego. If you're buying foreign fish, there's none of that. There's no rules. There is child slavery. There is horrible working conditions, underpaid, all the things that go with it. And I guess that's the biggest frustration I have because it's a bigger story than obviously us here. And all we can do is keep fighting it. So, But it's easy to fight it because if you're a fisherman, you want to sell local because that, that's the way you return your money. If you sell to a wholesaler, it might be easy for him to ship it off to China or somewhere else where it's much easier. It takes 90% of it, puts it in the LAX, and off it goes. So he he's stuck with this idea of exporting and importing and so on, whereas you're not stuck with it. So the farther we move up this chain, the more we get uh, restaurants 
not the five or ten. There's a thousand restaurants. Why can't we get 300 of them? Because, Jason, if there's three million people here, we bring in two million pounds of fish. Each guy has to eat two-thirds of a pound a year, and we've got it sold. Mm -hmm. so, so, so the answer is so simple, but you wonder, how come you can't get two-thirds of a pound per year? And it's, and it's interesting because you're right. It's like the simple answers or the simple questions are usually the hardest to solve. Right. You know, and I think that to me is like, how do we keep telling that story? Obviously, marketing is a big part of it. You know, there's I, I was listening to a podcast on the way to up here today and, and just the way that big companies go into these third worlds and they market certain things. They know exactly what to say. And they were talking about yogurt in, mm -hmm. in India, in Mumbai. And the company went in there and they, they were, I can't remember what it was in the Indian name for it, but it was a yogurt. And every grandma, every mother made this yogurt in their home. And then this big box company comes in and then tells the new generation that that's sick. You're going to get sick from it. That's not safe. We have mm -hmm. sick. And it just changed the whole culture. And, and it is something that we battle with. And I think even in, in, in our restaurant, when we talk seafood and we only carry certain types of fish, you know, that a lot of people want salmon at Ironside. And, and not that we are against the salmon. That's a whole other conversation. But we don't have salmon on the menu because it's not what you guys catch. We want to do, first and foremost, ask you what you have for us. And, and I think that part of that education is, and, and that explanation is just teaching and educating constantly, you know? And, and I think in, for you, Kelly, what, what, are, what do you think is like some of that education <coughs> that we can do to kind of get that word out? Because you, we've talked a lot about this. Well, <clears throat> San Diego chefs have done a tremendous <coughs> job in actually getting the word out about the quality of seafood and the diversity, and then also the fishing industry. Reason being is that fishermen don't have the capacity to put out a, as big of a network as you guys do. Um, you know, on any given evening, you can serve 200, 300 people and they can all have a fantastic local fish experience. Um, you hear a lot about sustainability. You know, obviously everybody in the industry and then even the people that eat seafood are concerned about sustainability, but well, you know, people are a little confused about what it actually means. Seafood sustainability means that we not only have a supply of seafood that comes for a long time, but we also have a consistent supply of harvesters that can go out and catch the fish. So you can't have sustainable seafood without having fishermen. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, one of the things that, that I like is uh, I really promote U.S. caught fish because it makes it simple. When you choose to eat U.S. Caught, wild caught fish, you're automatically making the best uh, decision for sustainability that you can because we have the most regulated fisheries in the world. Overfishing isn't occurring in a lot of our fisheries, nor has it occurred. Um, you know, we have the most stringent regulations in the state of California, federal government for the United States. And, you know, it's an easy buying guide. Hey, if you're serving local fish, then you know that, that that's the best choice you can make and it's guilt-free, you can enjoy it. Yeah, um, it, it's so true. And I think people, if they just understand, if they just ask that one simple question, where's that fish from? Yeah. They can make a really educated decision right there, and I think but for you, our role is to bring in the best quality fish. Well, so, so, so you will say not only is it local, but it beats anything else. And if you keep bringing it in, and you keep serving it, the people will start saying, "Hey, let's go down there because they had the best fish in the world." You know, and that's so. That's our job is to make sure that we don't bring in some crap. Absolutely. And and don't forget when we sold to the commodity market. Quality wasn't, the freshness wasn't that important. It took a big load, and if you could put another five fish in the fish hold, well, you get paid that much more. Now you got to ice it down, you got to do all these things to take care of it. So, so we're harvesting less, but the quality's going up. And I think that's our 
our job at our end. And then your job is to make sure that it's properly served. Yeah. You don't sit on it another month or so on. No, we get it to the plate. You get it, you get it. And so once we start getting that streamlined, I think the people, people will come and they'll say, look at what they're doing. Look at what the fishermen are doing, what the restaurant's doing. We got to do our part. Absolutely. And, and it's something that if we keep working on it, it'll, it'll get bigger. No, it's a story. It's a story together and it's a collaboration together of chefs and fishermen coming together. And, well, we got but at 78 pick- years old, I got 20 years left, Jason. To get, <laughs> well, get moving, get, get moving, get moving on this. For sure. <laughs> I want to say, uh, speaking of moving, Pete, I know you got to run. Yes. So you got to get down to an event tonight. So thank you for coming. We're going to continue on with these two, but we're going to take a quick, short break to get you out of here. Okay. And, I, we're, I think we're and maybe they can get into Word Edgewise now, right? Jordan. Her beauty is already shining, <laughs> but now we can listen to her. <laughs> so thank you very much. We'll take a quick, short break. Thanks. Fishermen Kelly Fukushima, Jordan Kasslunger, and Pete Helming, three generations of fishermen here in San Diego, are with me on Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. Big thanks to Callaway Podcast Network for hosting us as always. When we return, we'll be talking about the challenges of fishing in the U.S. and a typical day on the water. Like cooking, innovation in golf takes many forms. At Callaway Golf, that means incorporating artificial intelligence into driver design and reinventing golf ball construction to enable a soft golf ball that goes far and spins around the greens. Innovation extends to every product category. Check out Callaway's lineup of drivers, woods, irons, wedges, and golf balls at a golf shop near you or at callawaygolf.com. All right, welcome back to Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. I'm here with Jordan Kasslunger and Kelly Fukushima, two of our amazing local fishermen here in San Diego. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Again, a little bit more of the struggles of being a fisherman in San Diego. I mean, obviously we're right next to the border of Mexico, um, right on the border. You know, the fish don't know there's a border there, but you know, some of the struggles that we've talked about Kelly a lot is just fishing laws down in Mexico are very different than in America. Absolutely. You know, but you can buy that fish in America, you know, and and I think that, you know, a couple years back now, you guys started out San Diego caught fish. Um, trying to brand that that name to kind of really make sure you guys differentiated differentiated the fish. You know, what is the frustration for you on that? Like, how, how, that, there's something deep there, and I don't want to go all day, but I know there's something there that it's a bit of a pain in the ass because you see, I see chefs, you know, saying they use local fish. I guess it, yeah, sure, it could be local fish, but it's not true local fish, and it's a struggle. So local something that uh, I'm really glad you brought up because that term drives me completely crazy like 90% of the time. I knew I was going to get a with that one. <laughs> you, hit a, you hit a nerve with local, <laughs> with local. So, you know, no matter where you go, like there's something local, obviously. As it pertains to seafood, the way I see it or the way I understand it is, you know, if you have a if you have dirt, if you're growing vegetables or you're growing fruit or you have land animals or something, you can maybe put a perimeter, you know, or a you know a destination as far as miles of what's considered local on the ocean. You can't do that because we, you know, some, when we leave the harbor, sometimes we go five miles and sometimes we have to go a thousand miles to catch the fish. Fish have tails, you know, they travel all over the place. But you know, we go out in our boats. We live in San Diego. We operate our businesses out of here. We go catch the fish and then we bring them back to our community. That's a local fish regardless of how far you have to go Absolutely. offshore to get it. Um, and with the, 
The other thing that really bothers me about local is when fish is not caught in the United States and it's marketed as local. So, you know, we border Mexico. It's just a few miles south of our harbor. We share the same stocks of fish. Fish are pelagic. They travel back and forth, you know, season at the same seasons. We're catching them. The Mexicans are catching them. Um, same thing with lobster, with any of the species that we have. Um, Mexico doesn't have the regulations that the United States has in place, um, you know, and the cost of operations is three to four times as much in the U.S. to fish responsibly as it is in a country that, you know, just kind of has a free-for-all. Um, those fish, when they come across <coughs> the United States, the first place they stop is San Diego. So a lot of the fish that we would, same species of fish that we catch are, are delivered here for way less than what, you know, we can afford to even go fishing for them for. And you see those fish marketed as local fish a lot, but they're not local fish. Those are import fish. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have imported fish that's caught in a different country and brought into the United States, and they have domestic fish. So, you know, when the when the import fish get called local fish, it muddies the waters. And a lot of times it really upsets me because it diminishes our product. So what happens is I go out in the morning and I catch beautiful local fish, and I bring them back and I deliver them to a restaurant or, or you know, a seafood market or wholesaler around town, and a truck that came up from you know southern Baja with fish that were caught by who knows you know who who knows who caught them who knows how old they are how they were taken care of and brought in and then sold for you know less market price than my fish are um, and people may go buy those fish and, and try them and say hey you know what yellowtail is no good or tuna is no good or swordfish is no good but it's not the same product that us local fishermen bring in so it really does a lot of damage in diminishing our products. It, yeah, it really does, and I think that's a great point is that we don't think a little bit about is that. You know, you're right. If someone's on the fence with some seafoods, yeah. you know, like if they get one that's not cared for or treated properly or it's older than it should be or wasn't iced properly, whatever the reason might be, well, next time they're looking at Kelly and they say, oh, I don't like tuna. That, ooh, that's a blurred gross. line because it's, it's the same fish, but it comes from different places. Yeah, and, and I think it is. And that you're right. That's a good way to put it. So I want to go back to pelagic. Um, what, what does that mean for the audience? Like walk me through what that means, you know, because it's, it's, it's a a big part of what fishing is. Yeah, so pelagic fish are fish that they don't have a home, they just roam around. So um, highly migratory species are pelagic, so like swordfish, tunas, mahi-mahis, um, sharks, yellowtails, things like that that don't, they don't reside in one specific area. They travel, you know, all over the Pacific or Atlantic, wherever they may go. Yeah, uh, so I think and that's, it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot where, you know, at Ironside, for example, we buy kind of what's you have available. You yeah. know, we try to do the best we can with, you got it, we're gonna buy it, we'll figure it out. But you know, being in San Diego when it's 80 degrees outside and you guys are 800 miles off land, the weather might not be that good. Yeah. You know, and when I say to people, oh yeah, I mean, this is what we got, we only got a couple fish today, like, what do you mean? And they say, well, you know, it's tough out in the waters, you know, there's, it's weather's bad. What do you mean, it's 80 degrees? And the people, they just don't, there's not that connection. People don't think about it when they sit down to eat dinner. They just think about what they want to eat. They don't think about what has to happen in order for the fish to be in front of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think and that is a, such a big part of the story. I think that where Jordan, for you, like in, in your generation with social media and all the things that we, tools we have now to promote, I think that's where, to me, is such an important role that I see your generation having is telling that story mm -hmm. and really like understanding. Like People enjoy seeing that too because it gives them a different perspective on, it adds to the story or like it adds to the importance of the fish in front of them when they sit down to eat it for dinner. Yeah, there's that wow moment of, okay, I get this now. You know, I understand, like I use the term it. with my cooks all the time and you know, or people when I talk to about the fishermen, because obviously I'm connected closely with the fishermen now. And I, I get asked all the time different questions. And, and one of the things I love to say or talk about a little bit is like, 
fishermen are business owners, right? They're trying to make a living, obviously, yeah. support their family, support themselves, enjoy life. I'm a business owner, you know? But the difference with my business is if I'm sick at home in bed, my business goes on, right? A fisherman <laughs> is at home sick in bed, no one's making money. And, and, and there's, I see people, a light goes on in there. I get goosebumps I, I, just talking about that because there's a light that goes on and they're, they're, I can see it in their eye that, fuck, I never thought of it that way before. Like, there's, they don't quite understand what this specific industry does. Like, it yeah. just, it, it's, it's a family. It's, if the captain's not running the boat, typically no one's running the boat in these small businesses. Jordan's a fantastic example of, you know, how to tell that story too because when you <laughs> grow up in a fishing family, Times are tough sometimes, man. It's feast or famine because fishermen yeah. are the last of the foragers, dude. I mean, unless you're going and grabbing some mushrooms or something in the forest, Absolutely. I mean, there's not very many people that go out yeah. every day and don't know if they're going to catch anything or get get paid for the day. And, you know, Jordan, growing up in a family, you can see the days when your dad kills it and he's all stoked and he's got a good price and a bunch of fish and see the days when the fishing stinks and the weather's bad or the boat breaks down. You know, being able to tell that story to people of, like, why is fish a dollar more a pound than it was last week or, yeah. you know, why is it cheaper this week or what's fresh and, you know, yeah. just growing a difficult... Up, I was always like, why is he never home? Yeah, yeah the then difficulty. I started to work with him and I understood because, like you said, if he doesn't go out, no one's going to go out and take the boat out for him. Well, that's... I remember that's a good, good segue in. I wasn't going to talk about but I remember your dad broke his leg or foot, yeah. or his foot right? <laughs> his foot. And, his I mean, toe. and that's a big kick in the... Yeah. Kicking and the he balls. Was on the, he you was know? on the boat and we were we kept going. Yeah, just, you know, because we and, and most person. people would, you know, leg up in front of the TV and, oh, okay, I'm on sick pay. He I did that like benefits. two weeks, made it worse, and then continued <laughs> yeah, to do it. Yeah, your dad so. went working, made yeah. the foot worse, you know, but he had to provide. Yeah. And, and I think that, to me, again, just if we can educate our guests and, and people in general about buying seafood, there's going to be that wow moment. And when they go to buy a properly caught American fish, they're not going to question why is this two pounds more or a dollar a pound more. My whatever favorite it might thing be. at the market is when people say, "Oh, it doesn't smell," or "It smells fishy," or like, "But the fish doesn't taste fishy." And I always tell them, we both do, is like, if it's fresh, it shouldn't taste fishy. That's how you know that it's fresh. Yeah, and I think, and that's you know the biggest thing. So, I think that is to me is like, I just more and more, I'm, I'm always thinking about how to tell this story to get that kind of and use certain key words to get people to understand and to me the biggest one is just that like if i'm at home sick i'm fortunate my business keeps going you know i don't need to yeah. be there to, to to keep the money coming in you know i have people but for you kelly it's you know it's your boat you know if you're not on <laughs> it no one's running it you know, oh yeah fish aren't coming in so i, I want to talk a little bit about go back to conservation and sustainability because i i think that um this is where media plays a really big part in you know you know, I shouldn't say media, but there's a lot of false information about Absolutely. sustainability, responsibility of fishing, especially in America. Obviously, um, we see, you know, on the news of overfishing and this and that and that. But most of that is it's they don't really tell the whole story about where they're talking about, you know, and outside of America. Yeah, there is a lot of bad practices. So there's a bad rap. For fishermen on that you know how, how do you tell that story and and, and make sure people understand that that's no, not what you're about well <clears throat> in san diego and in you know in the united states in general there's a tremendous propaganda machine against commercial fishing um you know fishermen for a long time have been portrayed as guys that just go out there and they're money hungry and they're you know they're killing everything they can to sell and, and make a bunch of money and indiscriminately discarding a bunch of things that you know get in the way and that is not what u.s fishermen do um you know it's, it's portrayed as like an industry that 
that does more damage than good. But the reality of it is, is that people need to eat seafood. And when it's responsibly harvested, then there's, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with it. And that story needs to be told. And it's a beautiful thing when you have um, opportunities like the tuna harbor dioxide market where, you know, people may sit in front of the, the TV or the computer and see a really bad story about some, you know, mal some bad fishing practices happening somewhere in the world, and then they can come down and see and meet their fishermen and see how things are going, you know, properly and manage well, and, and then get an experience to so get the other side of the picture. Yeah, and I think it, it's so true that you know when people they see something and they just they take that one snippet. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of research. They just take it for 100% truth. You know, and and I equate it to, and I don't want to start bashing industries, but I equate it, you know, to me a lot of like the beef industry, the poultry industry, where there is so much money in that industry, yeah. right? It's tr commodity, beef is a commodity, it's traded on the stock market. There is so much money behind that. No one's going after the beef community, right? Because there's so much money behind that. Where fishermen are small businesses yeah. and the fishermen, they can't afford to fight that battle. There is a certain limit to what you guys can do to protect that. Yeah, small scale artisanal fisheries are low hanging fruit. And yeah. we get picked on a lot, which is, you know, counterproductive to the, the ultimate goal of having sustainable seafood. You can't punish the guys that are doing the best job and then you reward the guys that are doing bad jobs. I mean, it makes no sense. So going after your local commercial fishermen or your U.S. fishermen and targeting them and saying that they're the bad guys while the rest of the world around you, you know, runs amok and then you buy their imported cheap fish from them who's, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it really is ass backwards and it, it's crazy. You know, it just, it, it blows my mind. And, and again, I know that there's, we could probably have a podcast just on <laughs> the fishing industry and just promoting good practices. And, and, and I think for me is when we opened Ironside, I had no idea where it would go. And I, I, I was not a fisherman myself. I grew up on the West Coast of Canada. I understand fishing and kind of what it meant and some of the bad practices that went on in our world with salmon and so on and so on. But now that I'm so connected to the story, um, I, I just want to tell it. I just want people to know that it, it's okay. Like, yeah. This is some good people doing really good stuff, you know? And, and I want to talk a little bit about stuff you do. Jordan, you know, you work with Slow Food. I do, yeah. Um, I'm their seafood liaison. I just, I'm one of their co-chairs. So there's one other girl that works with me, but she's more like the science side of it. And I am more the voice of like the fishermen, essentially. And so we work to promote um, good, clean, fair food. So again, we always work with the fishermen and we have Seafood Saturdays to where people can come down to the market and they can meet the fishermen again and they can kind of ask questions and if there's a like a fish demo or a breakdown, people can see if they wanted to go home and try to do it themselves, this is how they do it, otherwise they can do it at the market. But Slow Food has been, I've done attended a couple Slow Fish conferences and so I kind of again get to speak on behalf of what we're doing right at Tuna Harbor and just out of San Diego in general because I feel like other states aren't as up to speed as we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's always kind of, that's what I enjoy is being able to tell our story and answer people's questions or like ask my questions and get other people's feedback. No, absolutely. And I think there is a legacy to your guys' story, what you guys are doing. And so just go back a little bit. Just let, uh, let's walk through the audience. Through what is slow food? Like just give us a little slow brief description of what slow food means because it's, I don't think a lot of people do know yeah. because it's still pretty small it is. on the it's, big scheme of things. It is nationwide. I've gone to a couple conferences in other countries. I was in uh, Europe in May and I'll be there again in November. And it's just, you know, people comparing how they sustainably source or how they promote and support the local farms or the fishermen or the vegetables and the fruits. And it's their way to connect to the public and tie it all back to a bigger picture and working together to 
recognize the, the little people essentially. Yeah, and so slow food really means just that. They're slowing the pace down. I, I think in a lot of times if you're a slow food business, I believe it's, there's a certain ratio um, of miles you can be with where you buy your product. I think yes, that's yeah, I can't remember what it is. I can't remember, yeah, the miles, mileage, but it's, but it's pretty sourced special. within X amount of miles from the farms and the fishermen. And, and they really work with like artisanal and small farms and in this case, fishermen. And so for you, like, you know, telling that story is, it's uh, to me, like, that's gonna be pretty cool to kind of go there. And, and whenever you go somewhere and people don't really know what you're doing and then when they hear your story like that must be a pretty cool feeling people are, yeah especially based on the fact that i'm a female alone people are always like you fish and then they want to know more yeah they ask questions <laughs> and then to know as much they as never you believe do me so fishing, i show them pictures right? and then they're like oh she's not lying and so then it's like our i that's like one of my favorite things i could talk to people for hours about what we do and how I started and the story and the things that I've done or the things that I want to do and the things that I'm involved in and how I started with my grand or with my dad who started with his dad and now I'm a third generation and it's a good thing you took pictures because well pictures not I know. Really yeah, exactly yeah, yeah it's not on the internet it's not true right um, I'm here with uh, Jordan Kastlunger you can follow along Jordan at Jordan Kastlunger J O R D Y N K-A-S-T-L-U-N-G-E-R and at Fishin' Chicks. Yes. At Fishin' underscore Chicks, right? So follow along, Jordan there. And Kelly <laughs> Fukushima, Captain Kelly, we call him around the boats. Yeah, that's um, my title, Free Boy Fisheries. <laughs> um, you also do a lot of work with different organizations to, to preserve the future of fishing. What are a couple organizations that you work with? Um, I've worked with Jordan quite a few times at Slow Foods, mm -hmm. um, Slow Fish Events. Uh, we work a lot with National Marine Fisheries and uh, Southwest Fisheries Science Center in La Jolla, um, Catalina Offshore Products right now. We're working on a culinary engineering product, um, project, and it's trying to maximize the value of non-target species and then also maximizing the value and using the whole fish in target, target fisheries. So um, create, minimizing as many discards and utilizing as much of the fish as possible for maximum you know, nutritional gain and then also economic value as well. So non-targeted species, what, yeah. is that, what does that mean to the audience? A non-target species is, it, say I go out and I go fishing for swordfish and I catch a mako shark. Well, I'm targeting swordfish, but I catch a mako shark. And even though it's a marketable fish, it's not what I was going after. So that's a non-target non -target. species. So again, there are fish out there that um, you may not be going after. Yeah. But again, you catch one, sustainable green practice. And away you go, you bring it in. Absolutely. And that fish is put to good use. Yeah, I mean, they may not be a high dollar value fish, which in the most case they're not. Um, you know, some fish are X dollars and then some fish are a lot lower. But um, in true se sustainable seafood fashion, you want to be able to utilize everything you catch instead of discarding it. In, in some cases, it may be deceased. So you don't want to throw a dead fish back in the water. It's better to bring it in, feed hungry people, make a few bucks on it. And, um, you know, it's, it's really promising for sustainability. And we go. And, and again, I think it goes back to you working with these organizations that it just shows that look we're not the fishermen are not about going out there and fishing anything they can get their hands on yeah and look we all need to make money obviously we have families to support but you are really setting up and working with some really smart people absolutely do a lot of research into what's going on in our oceans well that's what makes san diego so spectacular is i wish on a on a national scale or even on a global scale that san diego was really recognized for what it is and you know it's it's a really a, an area and the United States is leading not only the U.S. but the world in sustainable seafood. And I can give you some examples why. For one thing, almost anywhere you go in, in the nation, there's not 
of fishing fleets that's as diversified as we have here in San Diego. There is, I mean, up to 15 different gear types and probably 10 or 15 different fisheries. All the species of fish from on, on this entire west coast of northern Baja are represented here. Um, you know, we have a real science base here in San Diego with Southwest Fisheries Science Center in La Jolla, um, which directly works with um, Pacific Fisheries Management Council and National Marine Fisheries to manage our fisheries and, you know, really work hands-on with the fishermen and say, hey, what are you guys seeing out there? What's happening? You know, collecting the proper data and then using the data to manage fisheries well instead of, you know, just emotionally, you know, making decisions. Um, and then on top of that, we have probably the best seafood restaurants anywhere I've ever been. <laughs> and the most dedicated chefs to really, really getting and using local products and then not being afraid to experiment with, you know, fish that you don't see on the, you know, on the shelf of the grocery store and really opening up people's eyes and expanding their palates and saying, hey, this is what's going on here. This is what we have, you know, come try this. And, you know, that whole circle is really making this place really special. special. And not to mention the fact you have a community of people that are seafood loving by nature because they live in, you know, along the coast. Yeah, live on the coast. And I think we have it all here. And I wish that, you know, there's destination cities for everything. We already have beer capital world. We might as well be a seafood capital as <laughs> well. Well, I think and that's true. And I, and I think it just, again, I want to just really like reiterate that is that, you know, anyone out there that listens and goes down and talks to you at the docks on that Saturday morning at Tuna Harbor Dockside Market from 8 to 1 every Saturday, please get down there and, and talk to the fishermen and ask questions because that collaboration, you know, working with these organizations and, and them asking the fishermen what they're seeing, you know, and again, that's part of, instead of someone just sitting in an office and making crazy decisions without, like, knowledge or not Absolutely. proper data, and I think that, to me, is what makes it pretty cool. And and a couple, I think three years ago, I think it was, I can't believe it's been three years ago, I traveled with you up to Spokane, Washington. Yeah. And we went to the uh, Pacific Fisheries Management Council. Um, give me a quick rundown what that is quickly. Okay, the Pacific Fisheries Management Council is a governing body for federally managed fish. Um, it's state of California, state of Oregon, and state of Washington. Um, it includes highly migratory species, so swordfish, tunas, um, and then a lot of ground fish, which are all your rockfish, um, black cod, sable, you know, sable fish, uh, flatfish, and then also uh, Pacific Northwest salmon and California salmon. So um, it has representatives from all three states, from state managed fisheries, um, has representatives from the Coast Guard, has representatives from National Marine Fisheries, economists, um, you know, scientists, biologists, um, industry participants. So it's really a place where um, you know, four times a year, everybody that's a stakeholder in the fishing industry that participates in these fisheries can go and, you know, talk about what's happening there and then collect information. And then that way they can make informed decisions on how to best manage fisheries rather than just, you know, stamping a seal of approval and, you know, throwing it in someone's face without having any real industry input into it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I went there and, and you asked me to go up and speak about a certain gear type yeah. that was in practice for years before and i don't even know if it ever got fully approved but. yeah we uh we at the at that point and then also to this day um we're still experimenting with a new gear type to target swordfish called the deep set buoy gear yeah and, and um you know it's another tool that fishermen need to be able to catch swordfish effectively and then that way you know we can decrease our dependence on imported swordfish which is a really contentious seafood type around the world because they're is often, you know, bycatch in that fish. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I was, I went up there, I was excited. I mean, I'm going to go speak to fish about fishing. <laughs> I was proud. Ironside was only a couple years old. And 
Man, fuck. It's I, terrifying. Fuck it. I was freaking out. Like, there were some grumpy old fishermen there. There was politicians. There was Coast Guard. And, 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 I, and I think at that moment is what really changed for me three years ago is that, oh, wow, there's a lot of people involved in getting Moving that pieces. fish to oh, that yeah. plate. And that I had no idea. Just And I'm in the industry. And I knew you guys for a couple of years now. And to me, I, I don't know, that really changed my life. And, and to, to really... I couldn't even I can't even explain it enough to our audience about how many people make a decision on something. <laughs> oh yeah. And it affects so the Coast Guard has to be able to regulate it. You know, the politicians gotta be able to, you know, make sure they get the right vote, you know, is they gotta say the right thing. The older fishermen, they may not want a new rule or they don't want new gear set coming in because that may dilute the the the, the, the worth of to. their license. Yeah. Whatever like, there was so many things. So many that, variables in the fish. I, I was like for days after that just really kinda like, wow, this like really touched me deep. You know, in the fishing in being a fisherman, being on the boat is the best part. It's the easiest <laughs> part because when you're out fishing, your mind is clear, you're focused on your job, you're doing what you love. It's when you get back to shore is when all hell breaks loose. And <laughs> in this day and age, you know, it didn't used to be like that fifteen or twenty years ago when I first started fishing. Um, nowadays, I mean, you have to wear multiple hats if you're going to be a fisherman. You can't just go catch fish and sell them. That business model is obsolete. Um, there's so many other business variables and just, you know, political var variables that come in to play nowadays that we spend a tremendous amount of time, you know, on online, you know, in meetings, traveling, um, you know, sticking up for fishing, going to bat for our industry. And then also on the same time, advertising and educate, trying to educate the public about what it is that we actually do. So, you know, we can continue to do this for, you know, the next 20 or 30 years and then our kids can go do it as well. No, you know, and it's, it's, I always, I use the term chef and fisherman are, are you know, very similar. You Absolutely. Know? Like we're, you know, many years ago, I, I think fishermen are coming in and like, we're a little bit ahead of the fishermen in terms of where we're at in some ways. But I, I say it all the time, like, we as chefs 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we were in the back. Like we did not want to be seen. No one wanted to see us, you know, <laughs> and we just want to be back there and cooking, you know, like don't, we don't care about, there was no social media. There was no promoting, just cook. Yeah. I'm going to put the best food on this plate. That's how you're going to know me. And fishmen are kind of saying they want to be out fishing. They're so they, want <laughs> they want to be doing their thing, but there's so many things that we do now that is so important to our job, you know, that we're just naturally not, good at yeah you know and it takes time to kind of grow that you know it, it's crazy what we have to do and and when we're doing that you know we're not in there making money especially in your guys' case well even just starting to sell the iron side i remember <coughs> my dad was like oh i don't know we've never done that before but now it's like all we do is provide the restaurants with fresh fish yeah. but that's something that he had to become comfortable with because he wasn't he never did that yeah transitioning into a new marketing style like direct marketing yeah. for a fisherman who's <clears> fished <throat> for 40 years is difficult to do crazy so Jordan, I want to get into a little bit, obviously, female in the fishing industry. You know, you were born into a fishing family. Like you said, your grandfather, your dad. Um, you know, you have a twin sister. I do. As well, Taylor. Yes. But she's not really into the fishing. No, she's you know? math science yeah, driven. So she's off in school. <laughs> uh, we see her on holidays. She comes yeah. down and visits yeah. us. I say us because she comes back inside. <laughs> um, <clears throat> again, tell me a little bit about the struggles of that perception of a female in yeah, this industry. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... It wasn't easy when I first started with my dad years ago because it's a male-dominated industry to where when I'd be down at the dock, people would be like, oh, do you need help? Like, are you sure you can do that on your own? But it's like now that they understand that I can do it, they don't ask me anymore, but now they'll ask me to, like, help them move something or because they know that I can do it. But it's definitely was I had to show that I could do it on my own and that I could do it just as well as they could because 
people see a woman on a bow and don't assume that well yeah you and can i think work because it's, it's foreign to them you know and, and i get i don't even is there any other female fishermen in san diego that you know of there is a few yeah but it's not it's not a very common thing it's i feel like it's a little more common up in like alaska canada just yeah. because there again you grow up in a family that fishes and so that's, and that's becomes your do. lifestyle yeah. but here it's <clears throat> it's a lot less common yeah so you are you know and i think for me is obviously i've known you for a long time now and 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 i think that you know watching you grow into your own you know over the years has, has been pretty cool for me to watch you take this this business on head on and i want to talk a little bit about um you know something you did that it didn't work out yeah um the north park uh, san diego market. north park farmers market and and i why i want to bring it up um because it was a bummer that it didn't work out you know obviously for yeah. you but for for me in other ways because I think it just goes, in a sense, it shows how far we're not along It's yeah in, in buying exactly. quality fish. So talk to me a little bit about that. Give me a little background yeah, of what so you did. Yeah, so I was at the farmer's market. That's where the name, that's where the fish and chicks came from. And it was actually Kelly and Jolene are the ones that gave me the idea because I was like, I don't know what to name it. And then they were just like throwing ideas at me and that's the one that stuck and that I really liked. And so I was at the farmer's market for about three or four months and it's people were interested in the seafood scene and the fish and the crabs, but they were afraid to go home and have to do something themselves. They wanted the fish, but they didn't want to be the ones to like do all the dirty work to get it. And so I was making enough to pay market fees and to pay back what I was buying, but there was, the interest wasn't there fast enough or I just, you know, I kind of gave up on it, I think, because I went back to doing what I did and sell for my dad and son at the market. And so the interest was there. It just, people are skeptical and afraid to take that next step and like do it themselves. And so people ask me, you know, it's like the, the one thing you failed at. And I, I don't necessarily think I failed at it because I would do it all again in a heartbeat, the same exact way that I did it the first time. It's just, I think the public needs to be willing to take that next step with us instead of just going into a supermarket and wanting to buy the seafood. Well, I think in that, I think for me, and that's why I wanted to kind of you to tell that story a little bit is because you're right. You were bringing whole crabs. Yeah. I love being there and being able to tell people. All the whole fish that your dad and you caught on that boat and you set up your booth every day. And, and I believe there was interest, you know, a couple of times I came up. So people were curious Mm -hmm. about what you were doing, but not curious, but it wasn't curious to to the bank. You know, it was, Oh wow, cool whole crab! Wow, oh my God, this is in San Diego. Yeah. Oh wow, what is that fish? Oh, it's halibut. But you're right; it, it's they want that convenience. We're such a, a society of convenience, mm-hmm. you know, and we sacrifice quality for convenience a lot. Oh yeah. And, and I think for me, it's a bummer because I think that, in you know, great artists, I think sometimes are ahead of their time. Yeah. You know, and and not that you're an artist in this case, <laughs> but. I think as an entrepreneur, you were a little bit ahead of your time and San Diego just wasn't quite ready for that, you know? And I I think it will one day, you know, but again, you're right. You can't continue to lose money for a long time. And the people that kept coming back were ones from the previous week that went outside of their comfort zone and tried something different. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And and I think, and that's, you know, we are, we've come so far in five years, I think, you know, and with since Tuna Harbor opened. But we're so far to go still. Exactly. Like we really have a lot. Yeah, a lot people of are just room. terrified of cleaning a fish in their kitchen sink. Yeah. But also what Jordan did, it's a you know I I wish that it would have worked out a little better because the quality and the value were there with the seafood. 
but like you mentioned, the convenience, it just wasn't convenient enough for yeah. people. Um, I mean, they could have got really high-end, super fresh quality local fish at a really great price if they would have just put in a little bit of effort to clean the fish. No, it really, it was, yeah. I mean, so I, I think we're going to get there. I don't know how, yeah. but one day it's going to change. I really believe it will. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of a bummer, but I wanted you to tell that story a little bit because I think it's an important story to tell. I would do it all over again too. And, and you're right. And yeah. I think, and that's to me, what makes a great entrepreneur or anyone who's great at something is they just, they do it, may not work out, but they get back on it and do it again. And and obviously this is something that's in your blood. You were born into this and, yeah. and, and I think it's cool that you're continuing on. And really in an industry that probably has a lot of, you know, what ifs for the future. You know, obviously Kelly, your son Cy has, you know, recently finished school and now he's working on the boat with you full time. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously, you know, Jordan, this is your future and you know, you got a lot of years ahead of you in this. And so, what, Kelly, what for you, like, what are some of the concerns that, you know, your son trying to make a living of this for the next 40 years? You know, the landscape of the fishing industry has changed so, dramat so dramatically in the past, like, 15 years that my hope is that we'll always be able to continuously go out and catch, you know, a reasonable amount of fish and, and have it be profitable. Um, but there's a lot more variables to contend with nowadays. Um, but the one thing that I'm confident of is that, Younger people are pretty diligent and, you know, they're a lot smarter than their last generation. So I'm putting a ton of faith in my family Sure. that my sons are going to be, you know, a little more, a little more tuned up with what's going on in the surroundings and, you know, a little bit better at um, managing things than I would be. So I'm pretty confident that they're going to make a living because for one thing, I don't see the demand for, for local fish going anywhere. Um, I only see it increasing. And then, you know, they're getting into a craft that is, you know, a dying breed. And my hope is that, you know, they can take my skill and knowledge and the, the skill and knowledge that they've acquired over the years from other guys and then working and growing up and then apply that to their business and really go out there and be like, hey guys, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. And, you know, kick some ass. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you said that, you know, the younger generation is resilient and, and yeah. a little smarter than the current, because usually we typically were, we're, we're you know, saying how bad the next generation is. You know, we my father said about me, I'm saying about the millennials, all these things we say, yeah. that, oh, they don't know. But you're right, the, the, the generations adapt to what's going on around them. And I think, you know, Jordan, as in your case, I'll go back to it, is yeah. that not only you fish, you have a skill, but now you're, 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 you're preaching about, you know, you're, you're learning, you're educating people about it. You're going that extra step. You understand social media, you're getting the word out. You know, so I, I think you're right. I think that, yeah, there will be struggles like any business, you know, um, but I think that that generation, you know, will really truly carry it forward, oh, yeah. you know, and, and talk to me a little bit. So on that note is, uh, it, I want to kind of get that, debunk the myth out there that it's just easy to go buy a boat and then you head out and you do some fishing <laughs> and then you sell the Ironside fish and oyster and life's good and we all get to eat good fish. But like you squid, swordfish, <laughs> bottom fish, but so like, so and line and each crab. So each one of these fishing fisheries yeah. has a permit, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. So the state of California has multiple different permits for different fisheries. Um, first of all, nowadays, especially in California, you find a lot of what we call portfolio fishermen, which means that you do multiple fisheries per year instead of just doing one thing like a lot of guys used to do back in the old days. Um, 
So each one of the permits for a different fishery is, is limited entry. So there's been a set amount of participants. And the way to get into the fisheries is to purchase a, guy, purchase a permit from a guy who's retiring or who doesn't want to fish for that anymore. So limited entry. Yeah. Just want to confirm for everybody. So let's say there's 100 permits. Yeah. Just to throw a number out there. You, just because I want to go fish tomorrow, I can't say, can I be 101? I yeah. got to wait for someone to retire or someone who's just had enough or someone who's just exactly. ready to move on. And then I buy that permit and then away we go. Yeah. So just another way of controlling fishing populations, I would have said. Yeah, just to, you know, on, on top of like having a limited amount of participants, there's also quotas and seasons on fish to make, you know, like I said before, when, when, when the U.S. is leading the way in sustainable seafood, this is many of the reasons why um, we are allowed to catch a certain amount of fish during certain time periods with certain gear types. You know, and then we have our permitting and then our, you know, we have a lot of observation that goes on on our boats from federal fishery management people. Um, and the other countries don't have any of that. They just out there just getting whatever they can get and bringing them on in here. Um, so, yeah, fishing, fishing is highly regulated in the U.S. And if, you know, people that are willing to get into it nowadays, there's a significant capital investment in it because fish fishing is expensive and yeah. by nature. I mean, seafood Absolutely. is not cheap and the harvesting of seafood is even more expensive. Um, so fishermen that, you know, so aspiring fishermen that want to get into the industry are going to have to pony up and really be dedicated to it and spend some time and energy and money to learn this thing and then be, you know, be in it for the long haul. Or they're going to have to um, be a multi-generational family where, you know, they work on dad's boat or, you know, their dad helps them out or something. Yeah, I mean, I've heard rumors. I don't know what they cost, but like I've heard like a lop spiny lobster is like $250,000 permit. There's permits that range from right? 25000 to a million. A million dollars. Yeah. Like, okay, so tell me why, ask me again why fish is expensive <laughs> and I'm gonna have to slap somebody. Um, it, it's crazy. So I, I wanna go back to the observational individual you just said. Yeah. So, cause this is something that blew me away that you, we spoke about. So walk me through, the, what's, the, what's the title of the person that comes uh, Fisheries observers. Fishery observer. So what does a fishery observer mean? <laughs> So a fisheries observer is uh, it's a program in place for the by the federal government by Ma National Marine Fisheries where certain certain fisheries are are, um, are are observed by human beings on your boat during your during your actual fishing trips. Um, it's something that I personally despise and every other fisherman <laughs> does because basically what's happening is you're being assigned a babysitter, a complete stranger, to go live on your boat with you during your fishing season and you, you know, without any compensation whatsoever, we have to feed them, house them, um, you know, supply whatever needs they may be. And on my small boat, and which most boats are my size, like 40 to 50 feet, there's only a couple bunks or three and it's completely inconvenient. Um, so it's a real, real drag on, on what we do because fishermen are independent. And, yeah. you know, in my case, what really irks me and, and, and a bunch of my friends is that my son fishes with me. My, I value my time with my family on the boat, teaching them my trade. I don't need an interference from, you know, a complete, a never-ending rotation of complete strangers that eat with us, that sleep with us, that watch and, and monitor everything that we do for no real reason um, other than the fact that they're really, you know, that, that they're, they're really concerned with the way the fisheries are going. But we already... Um, we already gathered the data, the same data that they would be gathering in the first place. So yeah, it's kind yeah, of redundant. That, to me, that was crazy, like to have someone on your boat. Because I've been yeah. on your boat and I know how it's It's not that roomy. <laughs> it's not roomy. And uh, yeah, when you and Cy are on there, you know, let's, because you go out and a lot of times, yours varies a little bit from maybe yeah. a couple day trip to what's up to the 10 most, days. up to 10 days. So, you know, when you're out there for 10 days, like you're not sleeping. Right, you guys are working. Very, yeah, very, very rarely. Very, you're, you, know, you don't have time to sleep. There's a lot of napping, but yeah. that's about it. 
<laughs> I mean, it's crazy to me. And and and, and Jordan, your dad's boat. Uh, Same thing. Renee it was Marie smaller than Kelly's. It's yeah. smaller than Kelly's, right? Yeah. Your your base. Your dad goes out for the day, right? Yeah. Mostly day trips. out in the morning, and he's back in the afternoon. Yes. You know, and 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 that's it's like I cannot get my point across to people that are listening to this yeah. that when you are buying you know, halibut from Jordan and her dad, that fish has been out of the water a lot of times for less than five, six hours. Yeah. And it's on your plate by tomorrow at Ironside when we serve it or any other restaurant in San Diego that's doing what you guys are doing. That can't be beat. If you're buying fish from Asia or wherever, who knows where, that, in weeks it could be out of the water. Yeah, the you traceability know, aspects are It's crazy. Beyond like it's just beyond, who knows? And from us, it's from us to you versus you go to a grocery store, it's touched 10, 12 different hands. Yeah, you talk a lot, you hear a lot about nowadays about like the health aspects of seafood. Well, I mean, how many people touch your food? I don't want hardly anybody touching my <laughs> food. Absolutely. Like, the less, the better. Yeah, and when uh, the guy that catches it brings to the guy who prepares it to the, and feeds it to the person that's eating it, I mean, that, that supply chain is as direct as you can possibly get. Absolutely. Yeah, it's and amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. a beautiful thing. Well, I mean, I could talk to you guys all day long, Jordan and Kelly. I, I really appreciate it, and, and I know a lot about you guys, but I think we could just continue all day. But um, we are going to run out of time soon, but and I do want to one question I want to give you each of you to answer. So, Jordan, what's one myth about the fishing industry that you would like to debunk? <laughs> that it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, Did you make right? a lot of money? Yeah, yeah okay, it's very yeah. glamorous, right? We yeah. have the same issue in the restaurants, right? Like, absolutely. People see a restaurant and they think, oh man, this is, I want to be a restauranteur. Like, my friends will party all night. This is going to be great. We'll make lots of money. Look at the <laughs> lifestyle. And I show them like a profit and loss statement, like, yeah. where, where'd the money go? I'm like, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm asking the same question. Yeah. I'm driving my Prius around town. <laughs> so it's true, right? It's, it's, it's People think that you go out, you come home with X amount of pounds of fish, but there's days you go out, you don't come in with anything. It, yeah, exactly. people, I think that's why it's such a, like Kelly said, it's a dying breed. You're either born into it or it's like something that you are really driven to do. But if you start it, you have to really commit to it because it's not easy. There's weather and there's other X, yeah, Y, and Z that affect out, if you can go out every day. You're heading out and there's no halibut out there one day you paid for gas you paid exactly. for your time all the things that go with it you're back in maintenance on your boat and there's no income coming in kelly what about you what's the one besides what's one thing one big thing um i know you got a lot <laughs> i got a whole bunch <laughs> well for one thing you got to be prepared to eat untold buckets of shit most of the time because yeah. you got to be pretty tough to be a fisherman yeah nowadays um but the misconception of who we are as you know as fishermen and what we actually do um, drives me crazy when you see the wicked tuna kooks and uh, you know deadliest catch and all these fishing shows that are, you know, not doing anything to glamorize our industry. That basically makes us look like a bunch of fools. Yeah. Um, but that's not what, that's not what fishermen are. Fishermen are the guys that go out and they work really hard to bring the highest quality food that you can possibly get on planet Earth to deliver to the people in their community and around the world. Um, you know, we're family. We're family people. Um, we're wives, husbands, brothers, sons, daughters. Um, we're real human beings that really, really care about the resource, that really care about our industry. And, um, you know, we know we're confident that we're doing a beautiful thing. So I want to just be able to understand that, you know, next time you see a fisherman, don't think that he's out there clubbing baby seals and catching dolphins. <laughs> yeah, he's no, out there it, catching it's fish. It's amazing. And, and I think for me is I feel really, you know, honored to have you guys in my lives and the time we've got to spend. And I know it's going to keep going for many years. And like I said, I could talk all day, but 
you know, we got to say goodbye eventually, unfortunately, at this time. But first, before we go, um, I like to do this thing called 11 really stupid questions. <laughs> um, so it's a little fun. <laughs> I'm going to ask you guys 11 questions at the same time, and you just spit it out. Let it rip. Okay. All right. Whatever first word comes to your mind, let it go. So again, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Kelly, for being here. Two of our amazing fishermen from Tuna Harbor, Dockside Market, and San Diego Fishing Fleet. Um, now we're going to get into it. 11 really stupid questions. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. What's your favorite word? Shit. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same is not a word. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, being 10 being the highest, how weird are you? 8. I'm a 7. seven. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Meh. The, the sound of my reel, this drag going out. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Damn it. I feel like I say shit. Shit. <laughs> what profession other than yours, your own, would you like to attempt? Oof. <laughs> I'd like to be really good at playing, like, an instrument. Mm -hmm. I'd like know. to be a master sushi chef someday. Oh, nice. You already are. I like it. I like it. What do people say about you behind your back? God only knows. <laughs> I don't even want to know. <laughs> what are you not very good at? Um, Saying no to people. <laughs> yeah. I, I struggle each day to, you know, be a, a good dad. Yeah. Hmm. What are you very good at? I'm, uh, I'm very good at taking care of my family. That's a good question. Um, being someone that people can talk to or being a friend, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is a little tricky one. Tell me something that you believe in that almost nobody else believes in. Aliens. Nice. <laughs> I watch too many shows with my dad, though, to like I've not... seen some crazy shit on the ocean at night. I would have to back that one up, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, room, desk, or car, which do you clean first? What uh, were boat. the options? Room, Desk or car or boat? Car. <laughs> boat spotless. Boat, it, it is. It is spotless. Yeah. Uh, money or fame? Mm, money. I take honor. Uh, oh, okay. Right. Well. Right. Well, there you have it. Jason's Jason's shitty chef doing podcast. Eleven really stupid questions. So again, <laughs> thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Jordan, for being here. Uh, get on down to Tuna Harbor Dockside Market every Saturday, 8 to 1, rain or shine. Say hi to Jolene at Loaf and Fish. Get yourself a sandwich. Jordan will be down there making Absolutely. tacos. The best fish sandwich in San Diego. I don't care what anyone says. I'll fight them right now. <laughs> let them know. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time, signing off. Jason, Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. <laughs>